Hey, it's Callan. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Imperfect Me Women. We have Valerie Lane with us today, and she has an amazing story to share about her own resilience and overcoming uh, various traumatic experiences. She has a lot of really good advice for those who might be going through similar situations. So give this episode a listen, and I know that you're not going to regret the time that you spend listening to her awesome story. Valerie Lane identifies as an athlete, fashionista, bookworm, MBA student, traveler, and survivor. She loves luxurious bubble baths, flying on airplanes, watching General Hospital, and writing for her blog. Valerie spends her time working at a university full-time, taking business classes, doing social media marketing, exercising, practicing self-care, and teaching yoga. She hopes to start her own business in social media marketing and grow her blog to a book and speaking engagements that will help other survivors of trauma. She lives in Newark, Delaware with her husband and two cats, Anna or Anna and Elsa. Oh, that's cute. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't put that together right at the front. That's awesome. <laughs> So you are one busy person. I am. I like to keep busy. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Going, working full time and doing business classes and all of the extra stuff. That's amazing. Yes, it's a lot of fun. I wouldn't do it uh, if I didn't love it. Yeah. All right. Well, so I know that you have a story that you came on here to share. So I want to just turn the time over to you to do that. And you can just start wherever you want to for that. Great. Um, well, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for the opportunity to uh, be on the podcast. Uh, season one was very inspiring, and I'm really excited to be a part of season two and hear the other stories that women are going to share. Yeah. So I would like to start off before I kind of dive into my story by putting a little bit of a warning at the top of the conversation here. Mm-hmm. So since I am a survivor, there's a lot of terminology that's used like sexual violence or sexual assault, and it doesn't really get into what the actual crime or incident was. And as someone who is speaking more publicly about the events that happened to me, I just think it's really important to actually use the phrasing that's proper and really actually talk about what happened. So folks can get that understanding and say, oh, okay, she really is talking about, you know, rape. It's not just someone groped her or something like that, which, you know, there's, there's no hierarchy to it, but I just think it's important to raise awareness and build understanding. Yeah. Be specific. Okay. Exactly. So I'll start when uh, I was in high school. I was about 16 years old. And my story kind of really began that I just I really wanted to have a boyfriend. I all my friends had boyfriends. And I, you know, was a bride for Halloween when I was a kid, I always Mm -hmm. wanted to just be in a romantic relationship with someone. And so when I was 16, I started seeing a guy just casually over the summertime. This was, you know, the first guy that I was kind of talking to and dating. And uh, it turns out that our motivations for being in the relationship were different. And Mm. he unfortunately raped me and groped me on multiple occasions. So at the Mm. time, I wasn't really sure what went wrong or what was really happening. I didn't have the language to explain all of this. And this was about 2008. So the Me Too movement had not 
started and there was not a dialogue about, you know, women going through, you know, interpersonal violence with their partners. So I just kind of, you know, bottled it up. And there was a lot of shame associated with the event, but I told no one because I thought I did something wrong. I was Mm. pretty convinced that it was my fault and I just, I didn't want to talk about it. So about two years later, I did finally tell someone and um, it was another guy that I had gotten friendly with that I worked with and he was very nice. He was a little bit older than I and unfortunately, he took that information, me opening up and being vulnerable with him and used it to manipulate me for the next two years, about year, year and a half, two years. And, you know, we were in a romantic relationship, but he decided to use that as a point of power um, yeah, leverage and leverage. Exactly. So I was involved in a relationship that was abusive, psychologically and manipulative. And the, the curious part about that relationship was I didn't know it was bad at the time. I didn't even know mm-hmm. that it was bad until recently. So after that relationship ended, it was kind of a miracle that I left him and met uh, a guy who is now my husband and just was able to leave that toxic relationship and, you know, meet somebody who is extremely kind, extremely caring, has never hurt me in any way. And I look back and I'm not 100% sure how I made that sober decision in the face of such a difficult relationship, but I'm, I'm really grateful that I did. So this leads me to present day, which is a little over 10 years later. Mm -hmm. And I've only been going to therapy for about two years. So I started going to therapy because I was not feeling great. I was feeling kind of down. And I'm sure you can really, when you're in college and graduating college, maybe going to a master's program, life is just like, it's happening to you. You know, like you're checking all the boxes, you're going, you're getting the degrees, you're going out with your friends, you're getting engaged, you're getting married. And then once the dust finally settles and you can kind of like take a breath, the motions start to come up, you know, your, your Mm -hmm. body starts to tell you that something's wrong. So I, I started going to therapy to address that. And that's when I really found out that when you have something like rape happen to you at 16, you can't just say, Oh, it doesn't bother me and move on. Right. It's a traumatic event to the body. And compounded with this relationship that I had with a man for two years, these were both like early sexual experiences for me. And so it really shaped the way that I saw myself, still see myself and how I interact in relationships. So I was diagnosed with PTSD. I actively live with depression and anxiety on a regular basis. And so my journey is really still going and I'm learning every single day how to cope and you know learn about myself and learn how to live outside of that narrative that was shaped for me by the controlling men that I was with and mm-hmm. it's definitely a struggle you know some days are are much harder than others but I absolutely would not change any of these experiences. And I'm really excited to be on the podcast specifically so I can hopefully touch other women who may be going through something like this and don't know exactly what is wrong. Yeah. Because if you had asked me, do you have PTSD? I would have said, are you kidding me? No, I, I haven't seen war. Like I, right. I, you know, I was just in a relationship. Like that's crazy, but it's, it's really not. It, I, you know, 
was examined by a psychologist and took the the test and you know the numbers really don't lie so it's been interesting for me to basically accept that as a form of a disability really but mm-hmm. be able to harness it and move forward yeah yeah i love thank you first of all for sharing i know i, I imagine it gets easier to share but never is completely easy to to share a story like that that you exactly. went through and had to grow through so I, I do like what you had to say about traumatic to the body. And I kind of want to talk to talk about that a little bit more because okay. like you said, a lot of times I think we think of trauma as somebody's after the event is in hysterics or sitting in a corner and unable to cope like these very big extremes that are visible. But a lot of times it is stored in the body and mentally we may not even be aware of it, but it might start to come out in other ways that we didn't, we wouldn't connect. Do you find that that's kind of what you've discovered through your journey of therapy? Absolutely. It's really amazing how many different, I guess I'll say like changes in your body happen as a result of trauma and you you just don't even know it. One of the things that I learned that was really helpful was that, Trauma is trauma for people. So if you put me in a support group with someone who lost a child and someone who was a war veteran and somebody else who had either husband die or, or something like that, we all experience trauma that like our brains experience trauma in the same way, mm-hmm. which I think is fascinating and also just so comforting to know that there's not a hierarchy on trauma. But, you know, I, I was diagnosed with irritable bowel syndrome when I was in college. Mm-hmm. And I'm also lactose intolerant, which is a fairly new development for me. And research shows that those are directly related to trauma, that it, it, right. it affects our digestive system and it affects our memory. If I'm having a really rough patch, like I can't remember things, you know, simple things that I should be able to remember. Mm-hmm you know, obviously flashbacks, the anxiety, the depression, irritability is a big one where I'll just, I think women usually get this probably from PMS too, but it's almost just more intense where you're like snapping at people, you're irritated with everyone. You know, someone asks you how you're doing and you're like, oh my God, like, yeah. why didn't you ask me that? Yeah. <laughs> and and then you kind of have to remind my, yourself like, Hey, you know, this is you're just having a hard go of it. You had something triggering happen last week and it's it's not that person's fault, but but also being kind to yourself and a le- letting yourself feel irritated or, you know, just kind of if you're having a flashback, remind yourself where you are and the the digestive issues were the most shocking to me because your mm-hmm. body stores that trauma like my I don't I don't even know all the effects that it's had on my reproductive system but there's potentially scar tissue and it really affects the way that women can be sexual with their partners right. um, and there's a lot of psychosomatic things to go with it too so I feel like I'm constantly discovering things that is affected by trauma and God bless my therapist she just sits across from me and goes yeah that's definitely a possibility and (laughs) helps me cope with it but you're 100 percent right there's so many different effects for every single person because of trauma yeah yeah I think it's so important to know that it could 
it does affect everybody in a similar way, but also the way that it comes out can be different for each person. So the way like that it stores in our body in different ways. And even the way that our brain manifests it day to day is, is different for each person. Exactly. Um, I, I was just going to say that there's a, there's a study done or researcher uh, that had come out with basically how people remember traumatic events, which is really important when you think about the legal ramifications of something like being raped, being right. stalked or, or something like that. Um, it's basically like if you wrote down, like if we wrote down this whole conversation on a bunch of different post-it notes and then someone else came in and scattered those post-it notes all over the room and then we like two weeks later had to come back in and put the like post-it notes back in order again, it would be, it would be like, it would be really hard. And like some of the post-it notes would just be gone because the janitor came in and swept them up. Uh (laughs) So (laughs) like people don't have exact memories of what happened to them because your body reacts differently while the trauma is happening too Mm -hmm. so there's a lot of cases where women go to court or I mean men are can also be victims I don't want to just talk about women but you know podcast is mostly for women right um go to court to testify and their accounts are maybe different than what actually happened but it's not them you know purposefully lying we're not trying to be deceitful to make it seem a lot worse than it actually was it's genuinely the way that your brain reacts to the traumatic situation right Yep. Yeah, I think that's such a good point to make. And even as you're going through therapy, you might discover things or remember things that you hadn't even thought about before. And that's totally normal and okay. And it doesn't, what I would always tell my clients, it doesn't matter if it's quote unquote true, because what your brain is presenting is true to you that's your reality. And so we're not interested in what actually happened. That's if you're going to court, then that's important. You know, you want to sift through those quote right. unquote facts, right. but in therapy and with your own work, whatever your brain needs to process and whatever you're dealing with, then that's what we'll work with. And it doesn't, we don't need to spend a ton of time deciding whether that, that happened exactly that way or not. That's awesome. I love, I love that you talked about that. That's so important. Yeah. So I love where we're going with this. And I wanted to kind of talk to, because I know I've heard from a few people, including clients and just friends, that they're worried about, a lot of people say, I, you know, I'm doing pretty well now. I'm, I'm doing okay. And I only have occasional flashbacks or occasional anxiety attacks about this particular traumatic event. And I'm worried if I go to therapy that it's just going to open this box that I've created and it's going to make it worse. It's going to make it unmanageable for my life. And I'm too scared to do that. So what would you say as far as your experience with that? Did you find that to be the case? That is, uh, that's a great question. I, I did find that to be the case. And I think I've had conversations with people like, you know, that feel this way too. I know it's going to suck. So I'm just not even going to try. And it makes me sad to hear that because I started going to therapy. It was kind of working. You have to build a relationship with a therapist. You have to find somebody who works for you. It took me about three people before I found a therapist that was a good fit. And then once you start feeling comfortable and getting into it, it is terrible. 
-hmm. you have flashbacks more and more, right? Like you're having these dreams, you're having emotional and physiological responses to your PTSD that you haven't gotten comfortable with yet. But I'll say that in the past two years, the times where I have come out of depressive spells or been feeling better are like a 15 out of 10. Mm-hmm. Whereas the times where I was feeling okay and feeling better before I had started going to therapy were like a nine out of 10. So my, in some sense, like my highs are higher, my lows are lower. And there's times where I question like, is this even worth it? Like the lows are pretty low. Should I have just kind of stayed with this? Oh yeah, there's probably some work to be done there about these incidents that happened to me. Right. But I think in order to build self-awareness, in order to really know your body fully, because it's not just your brain like we've been talking about, it's, it's your full body experience, it's, it's a deal breaker for me. It's mm-hmm. non-negotiable. I, I really don't know where I would be if I hadn't started going to therapy and seeing my specific therapist two years ago. And if there's people who are concerned about that moving forward, I would say you have to have that stable support structure in place before you go to therapy. Mm-hmm. Having the appointment is so important and going each week or every other week is is really where the work, where the coaching happens for the work. But the real work that you do for healing happens in between your therapy sessions. Right. Because you're with your therapist like an hour a week. And yeah. I mean, she's great, but I can't call her at 2 a.m. and say like, help me, you know, I mean, I can if if things are really terrible, but you have to have a friend that you can call, you have to have a family member, you have to have a partner that you can rely on to be able to say, like, I'm going to do this with you. And when you're feeling terrible, we're going to watch a movie that you want to watch, or we're going to talk about what you want to talk about. Because the work just won't happen if you only address it that one hour per week, if you're lucky, if you're lucky, because not everybody has access to mental health counseling or the ability to go on a weekly basis due to financial reasons. So the support structures do make the terribleness less terrible, if you will. Mm -hmm. But I I just think it's something that is necessary, you know, for your body to really process and work through. Yeah. Something that you owe yourself as a survivor to be able to live a more full life and process through all of that. Yeah. I mean, there's been multiple times where we're sitting in a session and I've gone through, like I'm crying and I've really gotten into something deep and I just like look across the quote unquote couch, even though it really is a couch. And I just say like, I'm amazing. Like Mm -hmm. I am an awesome freaking person. And the fact that somebody was going to treat me so awful is like, I never want that person in my life again. Mm -hmm. So I'm like cleansing, detoxing from all these awful things that they made me believe about myself because I'm so much better than that. And I only want to surround myself with people who see what an awesome person I am because I'm deserved. Yeah. And you've come to that over two years of therapy and, and realizing that about yourself. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I love that. So with this event, when it happened initially, when you were... 16, right? That's what you said? Yes. With the rape. Yep. 
what kind of support network did you or did you not have at that time? Because you, I, I know you mentioned that you had, there was a lot of shame internally about that. And I was just interested about your kind of your context surrounding that and what that looked like for you. So I have, I definitely had a great uh, support system. I, I was a dancer. I danced probably six days a week from, you know, age 10 to, I don't know, when I was in college. And so those girls were like my family. Mm -hmm. And I think they kind of knew that something had gone awry because they knew the guy that I was seeing. And we were all 15, 16, and you're going through puberty and things are just a little, you know, you're caught up in yourself and your own lives and everything's very dramatic. So I remember being cared for in the smallest of ways by my dance friends. Mm-hmm. And even if it was just like, do you want to come over to my house? Or I hope everything's okay. Or do you want to listen to this Maroon 5 CD? Because I know it's your favorite. And so in the coping skills that we had at that time, I still listen to Maroon 5, by the way, to be sure <laughs> myself up. I just, I love Adam so much. So, <laughs> exactly, exactly. So, um, you know, they, they try their best in, in terms of my family support. I have a wonderful family. I have a mom and a dad that are still married, which I'm incredibly lucky for two sisters, but they're, and they're both younger than me, but I was just so afraid of that. I had done something wrong mm-hmm. that I just kind of, I didn't want to talk about it. I covered it up. I, I thought, um, I, I, I'm the one who caused this. And so I just need to, to move on from it and work harder in school and work harder at dance and just kind of like throw myself into these other things that I'll be successful and achieve at to balance it out. And I also didn't really know what happened. So I couldn't just go to someone and say, Hey, I think I was sexually assaulted. Right. I was just confused and it was, it was embarrassing for, which sounds really silly to say now, but at the time that's exactly how I felt. Yeah feel taken advantage of and and like how could I be so stupid but of course that's not true you know it's not your fault at all which is like the number one things that you know we need to continue to tell survivors so and at school I just lied and told everybody that like oh I had a boyfriend this past summer and tried to make it a positive thing when it really wasn't which was Mm -hmm. probably like a hardcore defense mechanism on my part as a 16 year old trying to cope but but yeah I think I think it's changed a lot since 2008. If the same thing were to happen today, I think that friend and family groups would react a lot differently and and victims probably have better language to be able to talk about what happened. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The social awareness of it has improved since then to give even younger girls an idea of what is and what's not okay in a relationship. And kind of where they can go and turn if that happens. Yeah, there's a lot more resources, a lot more statistics. I think uh, this may may or may not be true, but I... At some point, I remember the statistic was that like 25% of all women who graduate college will have some sort of uh, interpersonal abuse or 
sexual assault Mm -hmm. incident happened to them before they graduate college. And that's varying the spectrum of groping, grooming, sexual assault, rape, whatever. But that's a lot of people. That's a lot, a lot of people if we think about all the women graduating college in the United States. So with more awareness of how many people this affects, there's absolutely more resources. Yeah. Yeah, I think I've heard that same statistic, that one, and actually, I think I heard it in reference to children, one in four would experience some kind of sexual abuse before the age of 18. Maybe that's it. Maybe that's it. Yeah. 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 So that's, that's pretty stark and terrible, but so, so important for us to be able to talk about and raise awareness. And I love, I love the social trend and raising awareness, even with young, young children about what consent means and that they have ownership to their bodies and just simple things like that, that can really set the foundation for helping to prevent, maybe not even prevent, but be able to better understand these traumatic events in the future. Exactly. Exactly. Because if I had known a little bit more at the time, before my rape happened, there was some incidents of groping and just like violating boundaries. Mm -hmm. And I probably would have ended it there. You know, I probably would have said this is totally inappropriate. And, and I know that this is wrong, but I didn't know if it was wrong or not. And so I went on another date with him because I just I wasn't aware. So knowing what I know now, it it probably would not have gone that far. But um, I think that's in some twisted way, good news for young girls that are that are coming up now. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then as far as your relationship that you got in, that was a couple years long, what do you think, why do you think it was hard for you to recognize the signs that it was unhealthy for you? Because you said that you didn't even really realize that until you started processing through it later, that it was unhealthy. Right, right. That That is also a really good question. Um, I was so desperate. And that really is the word that I want to use. Mm -hmm. I was so desperate for this guy to love me and, and be my boyfriend. And I was already hurt by one guy and I was already still kind of dealing with that trauma without really knowing what was going on. And so I would overlook, he used to make me stay up so late into the night. I couldn't go to sleep until he went to sleep. Mm. So he would, if I wasn't texting him back, he would call me on the phone and wake me up and say like, you need to talk to me until I fall asleep. Mm. But I was in college. And I mean, every, anybody who's been to college knows you never sleep. Like you, right. <laughs> you get four hours and you're like, when, like I need to take advantage of this. <laughs> I have an 8am, you know? So I would have to stay up until he went to bed, which was like one, two, three o'clock in the morning. He slept in because he had afternoon classes. We didn't go to the same institution of higher education. And I was always exhausted. But I was like, if this is what it takes for him to like me and for him to want to be with me, then I'm going to do it. Right. And there were so many times where he would isolate me from my friend group and my family and say like, oh, well, it doesn't really sound like they're they have your best interest at mind mm. or why would they say something like that? You need to be, they need to be so much less attached. Like they seem dependent on you and it would get into my head and I would think, Oh yeah, he knows best. He knows what I, what I need. And so I was just clinging on to this. Like if I just do more then he'll want to be my boyfriend. And I, I directly asked him when, 
am I, when can we be public? Like, when can I be your like real girlfriend? Like, I just want that so badly. Mm -hmm. And he would say things like, well, you're just not girlfriend material Uh. or, you know, I know (laughs) to say it out loud. Now you're like, Oh, Uh. like if if this were a movie, you're throwing your popcorn (laughs) on the screen. Um, (laughs) so you would just tell me all these things like, well, maybe when you're a little bit older or I don't really know, I just, you know, and he was seeing somebody else at the time Mm -hmm. too, which was also very slimy. So what I'm still kind of working through is that none of my, not that I can remember, none of my friends raised any concerns about him, Mm. but they didn't know him personally all that well. And so I've asked them like, Hey, did you notice if anything was wrong back then? And everybody's still, you're in college, you're still kind of wrapped up in your own drama and your own well being, and you're trying to survive and you're taking these classes and it's a, like a roller coaster of four years. And so I'm not upset. I don't blame anybody for not saying to me, Hey, this guy seems like trash because even if they did, I don't know if I would have believed them, but but it it it's still something I'm very much working through now, which is it's difficult for sure, but it's fascinating because I'm learning so much about the decisions I've made since my relationship with him ended and just how much when somebody's that abusive to you on a regular basis and puts you down, like how much it can really affect your own self-confidence and self-esteem. Yeah. Yeah, it can be all encompassing and affect pretty much every part of your life without you realizing what it's doing. Exactly. Everything from like picking a dinner restaurant to doing a home improvement project to Mm -hmm. making decisions. You just feel like you're not qualified to be making the decisions because somebody else was always making them for you or you made them based off of that other person. Yeah. Is there any guilt there for you? Not that there should be, but often I find that there's guilt associated with why, you know, why did I stay in that relationship? Like you said, where now you look back at it and you're like, if I saw that in a movie, I'd be wanting to throw popcorn at the screen, you know? (laughs) So looking back, do you have to kind of work through that piece of it? That's interesting. I, I think it's more disappointment than guilt. Mm -hmm. Like, I think I just feel sad for the younger version of myself. Yeah, that's good. And, but like compassionate as well. Cause when I, when I think about like that younger version of myself, I'm very aware that we were a vulnerable person and that's why I was preyed upon Mm -hmm. because there was some, I just, I wanted a boyfriend so badly. I had already been hurt in the past. I was, all my other friends had boyfriends. I was kind of available for someone to absorb all my time. And so I just feel disappointed that I wasn't able to really like step out of it or realize what was going on. Cause there were multiple points. I remember where I, I raised a red flag at myself mm-hmm. and I said, you, ha- you have to get out. You have to end this. Like something isn't right. And then he would say something or do something and I would cling to this, oh, but tomorrow will be better right. kind of hope. And then it would just go away. So I, I want to think about that more if that really was guilt. But I think it's just like a, a sadness and disappointment. But I often think about that younger version of myself and just kind of like, um, sorry if this is weird for listeners, but I do this all the time in therapy. Like you just want to give your younger version a hug yeah. and a high five mm-hmm. and say like, it's okay. You were, you were doing the best you could at the time. You're doing great now. The future is better. 
And we're going to continue to work through understanding each other because you do kind of feel like two different people, even though it's, it's the same person, Mm -hmm. the same, it's the same person coming up through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's definitely the model that I use with my clients as well. So I'm very familiar with that. And I love, I love the idea of, of revisiting that old part of you and, and being as compassionate and open to it as possible. And giving it all the love because I think it's great that instead of the guilt or any blame that you're placing on yourself, that you've found kind of a way to just be compassionate. Cause that's what I would hope for with my clients. If they're going through something like that is just to be able to look back and be compassionate on the choices that they made back then with le- less information. Right. And just be accepting because there is no time machine And we're not going to go back and be able to change it. And so celebrating the fact that these events made me into the person that I am today, I feel so much more strong. Mm -hmm. I feel so much more resilient. You know, I said in my bio that I identify as an athlete. That's a new thing for me. I ran a half marathon this year. I'm working out more than ever. Like I'm pushing myself to do things that I didn't think was possible for me. And I don't know if I would be doing that right now if I wasn't a survivor. And so there's a lot of really good things, good self-awareness, good learning, good empowerment that can come from working through your trauma and really realizing the person that you are. Yeah. Well, I know you mentioned that you have an Instagram and website. Do you want to talk a little bit about that? Sure. So my website is my blog. It's empowderment.space. And I chose the word empowderment. There's a D in there because I obviously no one can see me right now because (laughs) I'm recording a podcast with you. But I wear makeup every single day. Mm -hmm. And I love makeup so much. I started when I was in dance. And I just think makeup allows you to express yourself and makes you feel beautiful. And I just think it's it's wonderful. Mm. So I wanted to empower people kind of like through whatever brings them joy. And for me, that's makeup. Mm. So powder, like, you know, your powder. Right. Your nose I love it. Something yeah. like that and, and empowerment. Yeah. <laughs> so um, it's dot space because it's more of a creative space for me to kind of write about musings that I have or um, realizations, but it's a lot about empowerment and motivation and just reaching for more. Mm -hmm. I think even if you are not a survivor of trauma or your trauma comes from a childhood divorce or something different, there's a lot of keeping up with the Joneses Mm -hmm. that happens in today's culture. There's a lot of checking the boxes as Michelle Obama talks about in her book, Becoming. Mm -hmm. And when we can really tap into like, what motivates me? What am I passionate about? What do I feel empowered by? And then how can I do that? I'm sure you went through the same thing with starting Imperfect Me yeah. Women because, you know, it, it's it's more than a passion project, right? Like you're not, you're, this isn't just a side thing, right. you know, like it's, it's really a core part of, of what you want to contribute to the world. And so that's what I'm doing with the Empowerment blog. I want to be able to help other survivors of trauma. I want to be able to connect with people. And I just want to share stories because that's really where we find a lot of joy where a lot of our culture is founded on stories. Mm -hmm. And I think that's where we're going to be able to connect with people. So I just started it this year in about April. And that was a big 
moment. I had it sitting like ready to go for like three months. And then finally one day I was just like, I'm just going to do this and, and launch it. So the, the support from people has been really, really encouraging, but I'm sure you can relate to this too. It can be really vulnerable and scary to put yourself out there Absolutely. and talk about your experiences and share hard times and also have the responsibility to provide advice that's helpful for people. Mm-hmm. And so it's been a challenge, but at the same time, it's been really, really fulfilling. And people who I never even thought would read the blog come up to me and say, oh, I read your blog post this past <laughs> Sunday. I really liked it. And for the first couple of weeks, I didn't know what to say. And then really? I finally was like, <laughs> okay, really like, you, you have to talk to them, Valerie. Like, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so I always thank them and ask for blog post ideas. And I'm excited to see where it leads and to engage more people with that. Yeah, I think that's awesome. Anything that's going to empower and uplift people and especially women who and others who have been through trauma. That's amazing that you've created that space and want to share what you've learned through your journey. Thank you. Yeah. So just kind of closing out, if there's somebody similar who's going through a similar situation as you either just got out of a traumatic relationship or is just trying to kind of figure out their next step, what would you say would be a good kind of first, not necessarily easy, but first simple step to take in that journey to healing for them? Right. So the first step for me is to journal, mm. write it down. I love that. Before you even go on psychology today and look for a therapist or think about things, I think you have to get comfortable with your own internal dialogue. You have to get comfortable with what is actually going wrong here for me. Do I see a pattern for myself? Am I just really feeling down? And getting that out on paper or typing that up is super powerful because it makes it real and it recognizes that your feelings are valid. So that's like step number one. And the amount of journaling that I've done is sporadic. I I gratitude journal every single morning and I write down my goals every single morning. Mm -hmm. But if there's something that's really on my mind, I'm like, I just need to get this out on paper. Or when I want to celebrate an accomplishment, on especially, especially if it comes out in therapy, I write it down and say, like, this is the day that I was able to do this. Mm-hmm. And I'm so proud of that. Be able to make journaling a positive experience as well. And then, of course, I think finding a support system. So being able to confide in somebody who believes you is critical somebody who can maybe go with you to a counseling appointment or help you find a therapist, someone who you trust that can help you through this difficult time. Yeah. And then if accessible, I'm always going to say go to therapy because it's been so life-changing for me. But I do recognize that it's not, I ha- I'm so lucky I have health insurance mm-hmm. through my workplace. And because of the age that I was when my crime happened, the state that I live in actually provides money for people who report their crimes. Oh, awesome. And so I know I'm very, very jazzed about the fact that Delaware is so progressive in that way. So I, even through my insurance, like I don't even have to pay co-pays, wow. which is like exceptionally lucky. So if you're in Delaware, please keep this in mind. Yeah, and definitely <laughs> but, look, um, or look for more resources yeah, like that. Up. That's awesome. Exactly. Look it up in your seat for sure because things might exist. But being able to find a mental health professional, counselor, therapist, guidance counselor at school, anybody to be able to talk to that has training in this area is 
really, really important. So if you're able and willing, again, even if it's a session every other week or once a month, if you can scrape the pennies together or find a resource to use, I think there's only so much we can do on our own. You know, we can't treat ourselves for polio or, you know, like diabetes or something. You got to go see a doctor who was trained to be able to say like, okay, like this is what we need to do with you. And our brains are the same way. Our bodies are the same way. It's a chemical imbalance. It's, it's things that are happening in your body that other people went to school for. And so I really encourage people to put that trust in a counselor that they feel comfortable with. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, at the beginning of the session, it's okay to shop around a little bit and find somebody that, that fits with you because often the first try isn't going to be the best try. I mean, sometimes it is and that's amazing, but it's also really good to know that yes. it's okay if yeah. if you try it a couple times and you're like, ah, I'm still not really fitting with this therapist, totally fine to go find somebody else. Exactly. And there's different types of therapy and everybody pictures Freud on the couch <laughs> and it's not always like that, yeah. you know? Um, and the, the I think one of the most funny parts of me kind of shopping around was I had these two experiences with therapists. I then go to a place that's specialized in people who are survivors of abuse and recovery. Mm -hmm. And it was a much better fit, have a great therapist. But then I had to kind of process my other two therapy sessions with (laughs) her before we could really dive in. Exactly, exactly. So, and, and every therapist is different with how much they like break the fourth wall, if you will, Mm -hmm. disclose things about themselves and everybody's just got their own different style. And so, but it's been encouraging for her to say before, like, they shouldn't have right. that. And I'm like, okay, good. <laughs> I, I, I didn't think so, but I, I'm not the one who went to school for this. Yep. So being able to, yeah, find somebody who I would not do well with a robot, you know, somebody who was just asking questions and not being human. Mm-hmm. But I was able to realize that I needed a human in front of me that wasn't just going to be a blank person that didn't really talk about themselves through the journaling. Right. You know, I realized that, gosh, I hate that style. I need somebody who's a little bit more flexible. And so that's why I think the going back to the the journaling is, is a great first yeah. step. Yeah. I love journaling as a first step because that's something that's so much more accessible than, than a lot of other things that people might think that they needed to do. So I love that. And that exactly. can help you kind of figure out your next step after. Exactly. Okay. So thank you so much for being on the podcast today and being willing to share your story. I know that it's going to be really helpful to my listeners and to um, all of the other women that you're able to share this story with and your journey. It's very empowering and uplifting. So I really appreciate it. Thank you so much. I really am touched by the opportunity and I I genuinely can't wait to hear the rest of season two and hear the other stories and continue to be inspired by the other women that are on your show as well. And I will definitely put your links to your blog and your Instagram in the show notes. Awesome. And thanks again for being on today. Great. Thank you so much, Callan. I really appreciate it. I love that Valerie had so much to offer to those who are going through similar experiences as her And like I said, you can check out the show notes to find out more about what she's doing and kind of what's going on with her life. And I just really appreciate her being willing to share that story. If you listened to this episode and you thought, man, I 
I think I have a story to share, then I would love to hear it. Please don't hesitate to reach out. I'm always uh, open to hearing and, and listening to stories, and I love being able to invite people onto my show. So if you have a story that you would like to share, reach out. You can contact me through um, my website, through Instagram and Facebook, and pretty much all of those resources will allow you to be able to message me. And I'm pretty good at getting back to people as quick as possible. Um, So let me know. And also, I wanted to let you guys know about a conference coming up on this Friday. I'll be speaking at the Be Golden Conference in Bloomington, Indiana. And so if you are local to the area, it's definitely a conference worth checking out. They go, f- they speak on a wide range of um, social issues. And also there's some career uh, seminars that you can take. There's lifestyle health. So there's, they even offer morning yoga one of the days. And it's just a really, really awesome, empowering conference for women. So if you're local to Indiana, to this area, definitely check it out. I know they still have some tickets available and it would not, um, you, you would be glad that you spent the time. So once again, you can reach me on Instagram, Facebook, and at imperfectmewomen.com. And I am grateful to all of my listeners. If you enjoyed today's episode, please give me a five-star rating and subscribe, and I will be posting another episode in two weeks. Bye.